This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide, and we'll be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it is important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and let people talk about it. In all of our discussions, we will be conscious to use appropriate language, as your self-care is important. Listening to this podcast may raise issues for you, and if this is the case, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527, Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the JOY website at joy.org.au slash let's talk. This JOY podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wandery people of the Kulin Nation, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are listening. If you are listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. In this episode, we're going to talk about guilt, that feeling that you're responsible or to blame for the suicide in some way, that there's something that you did or didn't do that caused the death. And all of the people we interviewed talked about this. This is Alice, who lost her friend Ingrid. And I think when it's such a high-stakes situation, like someone has died, um, I think it's almost impossible not to feel guilty and to wish that there was something that you had noticed or something that you could have done. Yeah, I just think that's such a human reaction. I felt guilty that I hadn't noticed that anything was wrong. Um, I hadn't seen her for the two weeks before she died, and that was unusual at that time that we would not see each other for so long. I just felt guilty that I hadn't, like, reached out to her or checked in with her. Like, I had just been busy. But we would normally have gotten lunch a couple times, caught up a couple times in that period... The last time I saw her was going into a lift. Like, it was a really small little interaction. So I I just felt... I felt like I had been a little bit absent in perhaps, like, a really crucial two-week period um, at the end of her life. And that if I had um, been more present, that maybe I would have noticed that something was wrong. Um, I think my guilt was perhaps not as bad as it could have been 
Um, because I had a reasonably strong sense that there hadn't been much sign that anything was wrong. Peter felt the same, that he didn't really sense that there was anything wrong, and that he didn't need to be particularly worried about his partner, Des. Guilt's, guilt's a funny thing, because I have felt guilty a lot, but it's always been around, I just didn't see it coming. How could I be so... You know, forgive my terminology here, but, you know, how could I have had my head so far up my own ass that I didn't see his unhappiness? I didn't see him suffering the way he, he, he was suffering or, or anything like that. Bo, despite doing everything he could for his partner, Jeff, and acknowledging this, still feels guilty nearly two years later. Because I guess what I get angry at myself about sometimes, and I know that it, this doesn't help, but... You think, well, what could I have done differently? Could I have done something differently that may have, you know, kept Jeff here, I suppose? But um, I know that I can't think like that, and it's just going around in circles because um, I guess at the end of the day, um, I, I know that I did everything I could to to be there for Jeff, but unfortunately, um, he uh, felt how he did, and he thought that taking his own life was probably the uh, such a hard thing. But yeah, um, this is Louise explaining why we can feel such massive guilt. I think there's a, such a lot in in what each of them have said there. I think um, because suicide is such a tragedy and such a catastrophe for people that it feels like there must have been signs. It should have been obvious. So clearly I should have been able to see it and why didn't I? So there's so much that goes on, I think. And then people going over and over the last interaction um, looking for the signs. Was there a sign? I must have missed something because... Surely this couldn't have happened without me seeing something before it. So I think it's just, it is actually sort of almost inevitable really that people do have that really quite relentless and very sickening feeling of guilt, I think, that sense of responsibility for for the death, uh, which is just very difficult. There's a number of different ways to think about guilt or to understand the sort of Um, place of it in grief but I think one of them is that when we love someone we do have that sense of bond with them we have that real sense of wanting the best for them wanting to protect them so when something like this happens I think it's almost inevitable that we're going to feel like we should have been able to do something and certainly we want to have been able to do something but I think that the guilt, and to some extent, comes out of the love and the want to protect someone and the the want um, for the best for them. And so the fact that they've ended their life really sort of is devastating, really, uh, when someone that we love has ended their own life. So I think there's quite a lot to it. I think also part of guilt is actually trying to understand what's happened. Did I do something? Should I have done more? 
did I, you know, did I do something? Did I say something? Or was there something I should have done or should have said? And all those questions that Louise just mentioned, all the whys and what ifs, can feed into that guilt as Joe experienced firsthand. After the initial shock when Ingrid died, and after the initial shock of like, I would say the first week sort of subsided, I began quite a serious period of forensicking around. This is a period that I talk about when I think back to this time of forensicking around and looking for evidence. Because as you said, Louise, like the absolute shock. And I think, and I really heard that in in the interviewees as well about where you keep thinking, well, I sh- how big the event was means that there should be such big lead up. And so definitely I went through a period of just over and over again going through old emails, old text messages. And when I say old, I mean, at that point, they were probably a week old, you know, after the event. So, so they seemed quite recent. And mm. I felt like going through, going through emails, text messages, um, I went through her desk and I felt like if I could just find the reasons that the, that the terrible feelings inside me would be somehow abated, mm. that there would be something there that would give me the evidence that I would sort of appease the feelings deep inside me, which were like, I didn't see this coming. And I think that's that's a real way that guilt manifests, I think. And I just, and you go, and, and people sort of talk about, the interviewee says, they say the words over and over again. I think that's such a sensation of guilt, of just over and over again, just mm. sort of reliving the events and and sort of, story like making a story out of them about how if I'd done this if I'd done that things would have turned out differently and I think for me in the end a period that I had to get to was that no matter how much I looked around at all the old messages no matter how much I forensic for information at the end of the day she was dead and that nothing was going to take that pain away except for just dealing with that pain head on and the acceptance that she was dead and that fact in fact looking for evidence and the hurriedness and the busyness of looking for evidence just brought me back to the same place of like, well, even if I do find something, I won't find her. I know that I did this a lot, and you have probably done it too, that you go over and over conversations, text messages, events. As Joe said, being really forensic about these things, trying to find answers and explanations. When I caught myself doing this, I felt worried that it was not helpful behaviour, And I wanted to know from Louise if it was problematic. No, I don't think so, Hamish. I think there is such a strong need to understand what happened and to look for explanations. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that sort of forensic searching. Sometimes it can feel like you're going a bit crazy. It can feel um, awful. You can be absolutely terrified that maybe you were responsible for the death, so it makes it really difficult. But I think that um, searching for it, um, searching for the explanations, that sort of repetition of going over and over things is actually very often um, really purposeful. It may not feel like it a lot of the time, but it is purposeful. You're kind of going over it and over it, and the more you look, the more you can eventually get to the point that Joe's talking about, like, this happened and I did everything I could. It's almost like you have to exhaust yourself. Yes. Of, like you have to pursue all avenues. Yes. Otherwise, they remain there. Yes. 
even if they don't give you the result that you're looking for, which is like, I don't, you just sometimes don't even know what you're looking for. You're looking for something you don't know that's there. And then you realize that whatever you weren't looking for wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, it's a, yeah, I think that as much as you can let yourself off the hook, that's what I'd like to say to people, I think, because that's something I didn't know mm. is that I didn't know that it was a healthy and okay yes. thing to be doing, that yes. it wasn't, I was worried that people would think I was being morbid and, I thought like if I told people I'm going through old emails that people would think that was morbid and disturbing. Mm. Yes, I think, um, and, and I think people often do think that, that sort of searching for explanations and stuff is morbid or it's unhelpful. Um, but people have a really strong need to do it and it is okay. There's nothing problematic or disturbing about it. It's simply like I think, Joe, what you've said, you have to exhaust every possibility to feel satisfied because of the event such enormous event that you need to actually spend that time to do that you can't do that in one or two sessions that's right sometimes it takes a really long time and you need to go over and over some things repeatedly and even over quite a long period of time i think you need to revisit some uh, some things every now and again and and it is okay so i think it's good to have people around you who can be patient and um, also just understand that this is part of trying to comprehend what's happened, integrate what's happened, come to terms with what's happened because it's so enormous. You know, it was another ordinary day and then this tragedy struck. And so that's not something that's simple or straightforward to, um, to learn how to live with. Lara talks about how she found herself looping around and re-examining details of events when trying to deal with her guilt. I don't know. The guilt's hard. The guilt is hard. I have, like, guilt as well. One of the last times we had dinner together, I ended the dinner somewhat abruptly, and that was usually her style. And so I guess there's things where I think, oh, why didn't I just stay a bit longer? Perhaps she would have spoken to me more or... Um, one of the other last times that she was over, she didn't really want to talk and I respected that and I thought, oh, why didn't I push a little bit more and try and and try and try get to the root of what was going on? So, you go, yeah, you go over everything. It's like you have this loop playing in your mind, um, which is exhausting. I think that often after um, traumatic events... People can feel actually quite anxious, quite unsafe, didn't see this coming, so how do I know anything else isn't going to happen or how do I know this isn't going to happen to somebody else? So it's a very um, unsettling, quite disturbing time often where people can feel unsafe. And I think another aspect of guilt is that sort of, um, it sounds odd but it's actually a in a sense a way to kind of feel safe and to get a sense of control if I can find the thing that I did or didn't do then I know I can stop it happening again so it's it's a sort of um yeah a need to feel in control and that we can control events as a way to feel safe so I think that's another um aspect of of um, guilt um, after traumatic events. Guilt can manifest itself in a range of ways. And I think one thing that can happen is sort of, for want of a better word, a workaholism, 
is where that people can throw themselves into a range of activities because they feel guilty and they want to make amends for the role they believe they they played in this in the suicide and so i think they can become sort of advocates speaking out about suicide or um doing fundraising or trying to really support people or taking on a lot of responsibility maybe for friends and family and um, maybe looking after the person's pet or all things that can be healthy in a way but they can also maybe cover up the fact that the person is dealing with deep and profound guilt and at the end of the day I think we have to all anyone who's been bereaved by suicide, we need to confront that guilty feeling and, and address it and and work through it because I think it is just such a harsh emotion and it's just not our fault. We're not guilty. Yeah, I think the harshness of it, the sort of sickening feeling of guilt is um, does drive people, I think, in certain ways. I think it... Um, for many people, the feeling of guilt is actually terrifying because it feels so real. It feels like if I feel guilty, I am guilty, I am responsible. And there can be quite a, a, a deep fear of that, I think, and it does mean that people will then push away the experience. And um, I think it's um, sometimes I think one of the ways that manifests, um, in addition to what you've said there, Joe, is just coming up with very... Uh, simplistic explanations for suicide like it was um, it was the depression that killed them and I think suicide is actually more complicated than that but it's so important to be able to to say to people um, just because you feel guilty doesn't mean you are guilt just comes with this experience and it's okay to uh, to process that to talk about it to acknowledge um, the level of guilt that uh, you might feel. Which I feel like is such a complicated thing to get through because it's like in in many ways we have to trust our feelings, but this is like a twist on itself. The feeling of guilt is really will, but it just doesn't mean that you're guilty. Like, And I think that's very, very hard because like, you take in another emotion and be like, I feel really in love. Well, that then you are in love. So I think this is like a twist on itself, I think, which is so particular with suicide I think. Yeah and I think that's why it's good to actually be able to have some understanding of how come guilt gets so strong you know that it is about the trauma it is about love it is about trying to understand what's happened and so sometimes what guilt does it means that um, someone will really narrow down on one thing it was that conversation it was that interaction um, it was that experience that led to the suicide. So it narrows down, or I could have stopped it if I'd just done that one thing. And so it's really important to sort of really draw out and get a big picture, a complex picture of how come this person ended their own life rather than narrow down, which is what guilt does. But I, I do think that's why it's quite helpful to get a sense of what's driving this guilt in me at this point. That was really interesting what you just said, Louise, because, yeah, there, there is not just one single event. It is a whole bunch of things that come together that contribute. And I think also coming back to what Joe said as well about that feeling of feeling it but it not, not necessarily being a, the truth, 
I think that's when it's also helpful to talking with other people because if you heard somebody else saying that, you would go, well, that's clearly not the case. That's clearly not true. So I think that's where things like talking to people could help. Yeah, that's right. That's um, one of the reasons why support groups are really helpful because in a support group you get to share your own experience but you get to hear someone else talk about their guilt, all the things that they think they should and shouldn't have done and how guilty they feel. And you could be looking at them and thinking, but they're not guilty. And so that can really start to change your perception and experience of yourself and your own role in the person um, who you love died. So that it's definitely um, sharing with others um, who, who, are, um, who have this experience can be very, uh, very helpful, very empowering. Campaigns that highlight suicide warning signs are important for reducing suicide rates. You know the ones. The message is about looking out for people starting to give away their possessions or putting their affairs in order. But for someone who has lost someone to suicide, hearing these messages can create a lot of guilt, especially if they didn't pick up on these signs. As Joe both works in suicide prevention and has also lost someone close to them, these conflicting ideas are something they've thought about. Warning signs are key to suicide prevention and they are from evidence base of people who have suicide and, and people who have survived suicide. So I think they, you know, they're really uh, important, an important part of uh, suicide prevention. Um, and so therefore we have to keep promoting them and we have to keep talking about them and they are really essential. And the more people know about it, the better because this is a community and collective response. Like suicide prevention is not about one-to-one. Suicide prevention is about like community taking responsibility in a really big macro way. So I think that's why warning signs are really important. However, absolutely, warning signs can make people bereaved by suicide feel really guilty. I've experienced that. I think most people experience that because they come. They they might actually be the first time they come across this literature. Before you lose someone to suicide, you may have never have actually engaged with suicide prevention material, and because you're suddenly very heightened around this issue, you're paying a lot of attention to this issue, and so it can be extremely triggering because you might look back on events and say, "Oh, hey, they did meet a few of those warning signs," and I think that's really profoundly difficult and plays right into guilt but we've got to you know in the interest of suicide prevention we have to just be mindful of that of thinking about that um when people are bereaved by suicide but i I, you know there's nothing we can do to sort of we, we can't mute those messages we just have to amplify them yeah and i think for for many people learning about suicide prevention and warning signs and risk factors can be very painful after someone's died because it's a bit like if i'd known then what i know now um maybe this would have been different so it's very difficult and so we we want to encourage people it's like you did the best that you could with the knowledge that you had at the time but it also strengthens the argument, as Joe was talking about, for making this information more widely available so people do know what the warning signs are so that they can actually take action when it's needed. However, I think warning signs, they're not the whole story and I think they're a piece of the puzzle in suicide prevention and there's many 
you know, they're important. They're an important part of it. But also some people just don't have those warning signs. And I think that's really important to know. And maybe when you're doing some of that forensicking around, you might be attributing things to warning signs that just weren't there. And um, that's something to keep in mind about, about guilt and warning signs. But, yeah, some people can understand warning signs and because of shame and stigma around not wanting to be seen as struggling or um, being depressed or being suicidal. People might hide warning signs, absolutely. If you're feeling guilt over your loved one's death, chances are so are other people who knew them. Even if they weren't that close to the person, they might still think, oh, if only if I'd made more of an effort to stay in touch. Lara talks about this shared guilt. You, you sort of speak to more and more, speak to more and more people, and anyone that's connected with the person, you discover that they also feel guilty. They have their own set of things they feel guilty about, um, and I don't think that. I think almost all of Ingrid's friends have experienced and family have experienced that in some capacity. Here's Joe also talking about Ingrid's death and the shared guilt within that community. I've been surprised after Ingrid died, still to this day, people talk to me about the last... Com- There's still new people coming forward and talking to me about the last time they saw her. And one of the things about this is that some people talk about they were quite sort of, you know, she did see um, a, a bunch of people that were close to switchboard um, two days before she died and a lot of, so she saw, had a high contact with a small group of people and it was amazing how some of those people had high levels of guilt actually and they thought they talked about how, yeah, like people talked about ways they could have, and it's all, it was all retrospective I guess is what I want to say and I think that is really important that everybody does feel a level of guilt and maybe that can be reassuring to, to some people. That's why we must talk about guilt when we talk about suicide. It's such a personal experience, the feeling of the guilt that you have. Yeah, you can feel so sort of locked away in your own world, in your own guilt, and that's why you do need to go to and meet with peers and talk about these issues. Like I think that I think for a long time I was really worried about talking to people about feeling guilty because I thought talking about it, I, I already felt guilty and then I was talking about and then if I talked to people about being guilty, maybe that would mean though all those factors together would mean that I was guilty mm. and I felt like I couldn't talk to people about feeling guilty as if that was an, an admission of guilt. But actually I think we've just got to understand guilt and suicide and and bereavement better so we can support people going through it. I, I think that um, there can be a fear about talking about the guilt uh, that you're feeling in case you tell someone and they actually affirm that guilt. Mm. So it can that can be quite a hindrance um, to actually speaking about it. You've got to be really careful with your own mental health during this time and really seek out people who you think are going to be able to hold you in the space. And that's why it's important to connect with, you know, obviously support after suicide, switchboard, grief line, lifeline. Like it's really important you reach out to these organisations because these are people who work in this space every single day and, and, and will be able to hold you. 
Whereas like sometimes even though you might be really close to someone like your best friend, they might be quite crap in this issue and you just to know the limits of the people that you're talking to. Because, yeah, I think that is – I think people can try their best and they can really fail us. And yeah. I think um, because suicide is something that isn't talked about very much, um, many people don't know a lot about it. They don't understand um, that – you know, why it is that someone might suicide and what it means for those who are left behind. So there can be judgments about those who are left behind. There can be ideas, well, surely it was obvious, you know, surely it was you should have seen something or should have been able to stop it. And so I think that that can be actually very harmful at that those particularly early stages when you're just feeling grief-stricken and trying to work out what's happened. So it is good to be very... Uh, mindful, very cautious about who you actually do open up to. For me, guilt is really the hardest part. All the talking I do with friends, with counsellors, in group counselling, no matter how many times I've been told that I'm not to blame and I'm not responsible, I still feel that guilt. And I'm not alone. This is what Bo, Alice and Lara had to say about their own guilt. How I got from having all these guilty feelings um, to where I am now is actually talking to people um, that have experienced the loss of somebody to suicide um, and knowing that they've had the same thoughts of of guilt and and stuff as me and just um, realising you did everything you you could and um, it's, it's not good to just keep thinking about things and what could have been done or should have been done or what you think, you know, your head just swims and all these thoughts and it just, it's like, just goes around in circles and it's just no way to, to really deal with things. It doesn't help. And now here's Alice. I worked through that guilt a little bit. I think I sort of made my peace a little bit with the the fact that um, I guess it was kind of like bringing my heart in step with my brain in terms of the guilt Um, and that maybe I just needed a bit of space from the intensity of my initial grief to be able to kind of let those two things come into step so that my knowledge that I didn't really need to feel guilty and that there probably wasn't anything that I could have done and in any case there's no way for me to know um and that ultimately it's just a really sad thing that's happened and it's not really anyone's fault. I guess my knowledge of that just kind of naturally over time, my feelings kind of were able to drift closer and closer to that understanding. Um, I probably couldn't have forced that, but I think the more that my, um, the intensity of my grief kind of relaxed, I had more space to kind of let that understanding naturally kind of surface. And finally, Lara. I was very, very much in a loop of thinking that that it was very much my fault and I had a lot of guilt. As the time's gone by and having therapy, that's lessened. But it's still there. Like, it's like it was, you know, the size of a house and now it's the size of a stone, a reasonably big stone in my hand. 
So I still carry that. Lara's metaphor there, for me, is a really great way of thinking about the guilt. But what kind of things can help with your guilt? And what resolution or reconciliation can you expect to have with your guilt? I think something Alice said there was that it can't be forced. You can't just stop yourself feeling guilty by telling yourself not to feel guilty. And I think um, also when um, sometimes if people are listening to someone talk about how they feel guilty, they might have a tendency to say, no, 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 it wasn't your fault. Don't feel like that. And I think it's better actually to really listen and to allow someone to feel all the range of emotions that they're having, including the guilt, and to really listen to it. And you can assure someone that it wasn't your that it wasn't their fault. But it's also really important just to listen and let someone, in a sense, feel guilty and work their way through that and um, speak about it repetitively if they need to. I think some of the other things I said earlier too about just understanding guilt, that sometimes it does come because of trauma. It comes because of a want, um, you know, out of love for someone, wanting to protect them. And it comes from trying to understand and... um, and to want to stop these things from happening. So I think that's part of it as well. It's having that understanding. And as I said before too, when when someone notices themselves really narrowing down on one interaction or one situation to just remember, actually there's a whole range of things that led to this, um, not just that one thing. And I, th- I think what you said there relates back to what Alice said and that she needed time to have her heart come in step with her brain like her brain understood intellectually about guilt and how she shouldn't feel guilty Mm. but it took a long time for her heart her heart to actually feel that that's right which i feel like is quite crazy making really that time where no i definitely had experiences of thinking to myself intellectually i know all these things i work in suicide prevention i understand all these things that i'm not but i think that's the feeling guilty that even, and I think Lara and Alice really speak to that, that they know that they're not guilty. They know that, but they don't feel it yet. Mm. And I, I, I definitely have those kind of days. And I, I do remember saying to some people, like, I feel so guilty and seeing people's just complete look of disbelief. Like they hadn't realised that I had felt so guilty. And I think that was an important process of dealing with guilt was to come out and say it, that I had those feelings because there was something really therapeutic about just being able to say that. And I I mean, I said it to some people close to me. I said it to the board. I said it to, you know, a range of people in my life. I said it to my counsellor. Like, I, you know, I just started to really, at some point, a big circuit breaker for me was just to be able to start saying, I feel really guilty. It's real. The emotion is real. Not being afraid of it and learning to uh, work through it, learning how to think about it, like Alice is talking about, learning to get the feelings and the thinking together. Um, You get to a different place, like Lara said. It's not a house size now. It's a stone size in her hand. Still there to be carried, but not so overwhelming. Guilt is something that most people go through when grieving a suicide death, and how it manifests itself can vary in lots of different ways. What is important to remember is that you're not alone in feeling this guilt, and that it's normal. But most importantly, you are not responsible or to blame. Being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to come to terms with it is really important. 
In the next episode of Let's Talk About Suicide, we are going to talk about special occasions, such as birthdays, religious holidays, or other events in your life that might be harder when you're grieving. These events can bring their own set of challenges, but preparing for them can help you through. Please join me for that episode. But before you go, it's that part of the episode where I share with you some things that the people we interviewed with lived experience did to help them with their grief, some things they did for their self-care. There are some practical and helpful things that you might consider doing right now, or maybe just store in the back of your mind for later to help you through your bereavement. This one's from Peter. My self-care has been to exercise a lot. Um, I got a new personal trainer um, and I just started training with him three or four times a week and that helped because it just took my mind off things and I was just being very physical about stuff and I just didn't have to think about anything other than push or pull but then the trainer himself has been really good because he would he would say things to me like you know Pete you need to participate in life and so I'd start crying (laughs) Um, but he was spot on he would say things to me that weren't that everyone else might have thought but weren't saying and so it was was kind of like a a, a, a two birds with one stone because I was doing the physical release because I was very I was always very stressed but I was also kind of having you know counselling at the same time even though it wasn't counselling but you know he would say and he still does he says you know just really sort of poignant things to me that I you know hadn't thought of or um, are obvious but not to me because he would say he would just I don't know, I, I call it stately obvious, but it was a lot of things that, you know, my friends weren't telling me or my family weren't telling me that I should or shouldn't be doing. And, I mean, I've, I've developed a, a very good relationship with him. And I, and I, yeah, I mean, I trust him to, to I mean, help me with my exercise and help me to be um, physically fit. But in a way, he's also been looking after my mental health. That's been really, really beneficial for me as well. I always walk a lot with the dog, so one of my other self-care things is I walk. But I get lost in my own thoughts when I do that, and it's very lonely. But um, it's, a, it's a solo exercise. But when I'd go to the gym and I'd train with Fred, it was just something that I'd I'd done previously, but not to not to this extent. Um, and so I prefer to do things where, if it's self-care, I'm doing it with someone else. So you know, I've got someone either you know like a trainer or you know, um, a beautician or, you know, or going to a workshop to learn how to, you know, make a terrarium kind of stuff. I find them a little bit more relaxed if someone, if someone else is there because they can guide me and they can, you know, you know, sort of show me the way because I'm not sure if I could do it on my own. You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash let's talk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the people who have shared their own stories. Thanks to our amazing expert panel, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Bo, Lara and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk. Editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones and technical help from Jack Trainor, Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at letstalk at joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. 
you can call QLife on 1800 184 527, Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash let's talk. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.